Hello, and welcome to For Your Listening Pleasure, a podcast focused on talking with interesting and diverse individuals and discussing how their backgrounds shape them into the people they are today. I am your host, Mallory Waxman. Today on the podcast, I'm excited to be welcoming Sally Mueller. Sally is the co-founder and CEO of Womanist, a brand determined to shift the menopause narrative through a high-performance collection of modern products created by women for women. Sally spent over two decades of her career working her way up at Target from a merchandising analyst to senior marketing executive. She then left to help other companies create strategic partnerships to build their brand presence, including Who, What, Where, where she launched the activewear line Joy Lab and incubated the skincare line Versed. A few years ago, Sally was shocked to find that beauty and wellness companies were not addressing the symptoms of menopause in a modern way, and she set out to fill that void with womanness. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Sally, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. Would you mind, for those listeners who may not know you, go ahead and introduce yourself? Yes, thanks, Mallory. This is um, really going to be a fun conversation with you. So thank you for jo- or allowing me to join your podcast. Um, so I'm Sally Miller. I have a company called Womanus. Um, I have a family. I have two children and I live in St. Paul, Minnesota. When I was preparing for this interview, what I found so interesting was give or take 15 days after you graduated from the University of Wisconsin at Madison, you joined Target. But when I say Target, it's not the brand that we know of today. It was 20 some odd years ago. I believe that they had around 175 stores when you started and now there's over 1800 stores. What intrigued you or motivated you to accept that role out of school and go to the Target family? Yeah. I mean, I love retail. Um, I graduated from Madison and marketing. So I either was going to go the agency route or the retail route. And retail has always been in my blood. My mom had her own stores when I was growing up. And I just love being close to the consumer. So um, I was always told if Target gives you an offer, take it. Do not turn it down because they're one of the fastest growing retailers in the U.S., and everyone was right. So when I got an offer from them and I got an offer from at the time, it was Dayton Hudson, which was the department store equivalent to Target. I ended up turning them down and accepting Target because of just the opportunity ahead. So very, it was a very exciting um, time to be at Target. And one thing I learned was you were in the licensing department for a yes. bit. And yeah. I actually worked at Old Navy Corporate in on the licensing team. So when I heard oh, that, funny. I thought it was so interesting because it's a certain aspect of retail that a lot of people don't think about. But when you're walking around, you are walking around with all these different brands, whether it's the sporting teams or Disney, Marvel. And so right. to hear you were in the licensing group at Target, I thought was a very unique similarity because I've never heard of anyone else. Yeah, no, it was really, it was really fun. Um, That was always just a part of my job. So um, when I went into marketing, my last kind of 12 years of my 25 year career at Target was actually marketing. And before that I was in merchandising, but when I was in marketing, 
part of my responsibility was licensing, which you're right, is it was kind of always this, you know, this department over here, but it had incredible impact on our business. Um, you know, think about licensing and working with the Disney's and Sanrio and all of these different, we call them licensors, you know, the people that own the companies that own the IP. Um, but it affected every department in the company in a lot of ways, right? It was the toy, you know, the toy division was impacted. It was apparel, it was accessories and all these, you know, a beauty can even be impacted. So it was really, really fun. And I always felt like it was tapping, tapping into pop culture and so much about kids, you know, just kids growing up. And um, I just learned a ton of things about um, the, you know, the industry and, and it was so, it was so creative and really exciting. And I think it also shows like trends and understanding where trends are going and what's happening in pop culture. And I know that you helped with the bullseye concept and I have loved Target. I think about their marketing. I can still remember commercials with the dog and living in that environment of the red and white and all the different commercials with the colors. And can you talk to us about how that idea of bullseye really came to fruition and how did it grow within the Target brand? Yeah. I mean, the bullseye was always Target's logo. I think they evolved the design even before I joined Target um, to be really clean and, you know, almost, you know, the two rings that it is today. Um, and we had, uh, my creative director and I had decided to do some research with teens. And part of the insight of that research was that teens really love the bullseye. And she and I looked at each other and said, okay, we've been hiding the bullseye kind of, you know, back in the old days, we did a lot of print ads and we would hide the bullseye down in the right-hand corner. And now we're learning in this research from, from these teens that they love the bullseye. And they kept saying, I could live in the bullseye. I mean, the bullseye is like a biodome and you can get everything there. So we really started to talk about this with my boss at the time and a few other people and our agency partner. And we just blew it out um, as a concept and it really took off. So it was really a fun time to be at Target and in the marketing area because we kind of defied all the rules and said, okay, we're going to not sell product in these ads. We're just going to sell the brand and really celebrate this whole world, of the you know, the red and white world and make it fun. And we introduced the dog with the, you know, this, the bullseye around its eye. And it was just really ener energizing to be a part of that. When you were a target, the other part you were playing was thinking about those merchandise collaborations with designers. And okay. when I think about, I remember I was in college and girls in my sorority were going to camp out overnight for oh, the wow. Sony launch yeah. or right. the Tory Birch. And it kind of just kept growing. How did you? Or how did the team decide to move in that direction of pulling designers that, you know, Missoni's runway couture, how did you start to pull that in? So every day people can really enjoy and leverage these brands as well. Yeah. I mean, I think we decided um, the head merchant of apparel and myself really decided that it was time to do something 
more on a short term basis because we had designers like Michael Graves and, you know, Michael was kind of the godfather of, of our design collaborations and he was more long-term, but we thought, why not get some shorter term, we call them limited time only design partnerships that just come in and really offer newness and excitement. And then they're meant to really go away. And the designers obviously okay with that because they knew that it was a short-term partnership. And then they can go on with their business of, you know, designing couture or whatever they wanted to continue to design. So that was really the motivation was to create kind of this cadence of newness and excitement and bring them in every so often. So, um, so we designed the program to come in quarterly and then we realized, oh my gosh, there's all this excitement and excitement is really, you know, kind of a month long and then it peters out after that, but it's an incredible month. It's, it's just an exciting, you know, people do like your friends line up the door. So take advantage of that excitement and, you know, keep it contained more, more to a shorter period of time than three months. And so we kept evolving the program. So I think over the years, I I think I was involved with 75 different designers at the end when I was like counting back of all the different designers because it wasn't just apparel, it was home, it was accessories and jewelry and, you know, all these footwear. We had different designers, you know, depending on the category, but Missoni was really exciting because um, it was the first time that we crossed categories and we had the pattern of Missoni on as you know, tabletop, towels, towels, kids' clothing, suitcases. so many different categories. Yeah. I still really see fun. them. Yeah. They're really fun. And, um, that, you know, that partnership in particular took about five to six years to build before they said yes, just because they were, you know, they're Italian and they're not familiar with maybe target in the U S and it just, it sometimes it's the right idea at the right time and you have to be patient. So your career target was monumental. You really saw the brand grow. You helped the brand grow, but then you made the decision to pivot and start to work on your own. And I've heard from other guests and spoken with other um, individuals within my network that it's really a hard decision and you don't know when you should make it or how long does it take for you to kind of jump off that cliff and leave that comfort of corporate America to go out on your own. What was your journey like to leave Target? Well, it took me about a year to decide because it was such a great company and it is today, obviously as well, but it was, for me, it was a great company and then it was a great career. And I really love the people that I worked with. So super tough decision, but I felt like I was turning 45 that summer and I, you know, had been working so much all those years and traveling a lot and just kind of not really taking life in, you know, outside of working. It was just, I was on kind of a hamster wheel, (coughs) excuse me. And I felt like I wanted to do something more entrepreneurial. I was always an entrepreneur inside Target, but I was getting more and more challenging to continue being that risk taker and that entrepreneur. So I felt like, you know, when I was turning 45, now's the time to really leave when you're kind of top of your game 
and you have this huge network of people that you've met over the years, you have all this experience, why not take it and do something different with it? So that's why it took me so long. It was really scary. I still can't believe I did it. But you have a history of going to work for yourself and then you get involved with brands and somehow you get pulled in and you go back into the brand side um, and then you kind of cycle through and go, no, I'm going to go back on my own. What makes you live that pattern? Is it that you like having your options to take on projects that intrigue you, but sometimes that project can grow into something you really want to continue building with the brand? Or is it that you like having more of a team environment when you're in that brand space versus on your own? Yeah, I think it's a couple things. Um, it's always obviously an opportunity that that company offers. So that has to be interesting to me. It has to be the right culture. And uh, But yes, I think you hit on it. Team is really, really fun and important to me. And um what I realized having my own business is that it was kind of lonely. You know, it was back when everyone was in offices and I was sitting in my home office working and many days I thought this is kind of lonely. You know, it wasn't like now where there's zoom and all these other options where you feel connected. So that was, that was definitely a factor. And then I think seeing projects through really did make a huge difference for me. I just didn't want to be on the front end coming up with the idea, handing it over to someone and then seeing it kind of either not happen or, you know, variety of things. Right. So I really wanted to be able to see the project through because I do think execution of a concept is almost as important as the concept itself. And so much innovation happens in the execution and the go-to-market strategy. So I was always really let down when, like I said, I was just on the front end of a project and just hand it over and say, good luck. And then, you know, I was working with some big companies and I knew in my heart they were never going to implement some of these ideas. So I really learned a lot about myself through that process. Ultimately, did that process lead you to who, what, where? Because you were there for four years and you really helped grow that brand, what were those four years like for you? Yeah, it was great. I mean, we, I just really enjoyed my time at Who, What, Where, because I had worked with them when I had my own business and collaborated with them to bring the line to Target. And so I knew them, you know, I knew Catherine and Hillary, the founders really well, and the team that was working on the marketing. So I felt like it was going to be an easy transition. And it it was, you know, I felt very much, um, you know, welcomed by them. So I, I ended up joining them as chief brand officer. And um, the reason why was just because Catherine Hillary and I really saw eye to eye on how to grow the business. We were excited, all excited about building brands for millennial and Gen Z women and click offered or who, but where offered such an incredible platform. You know, they were experts at creating content. They were experts at, and still are today, obviously, creating community and all these different facets, building relationships with influencers. And all I needed to do was bring the whole product piece, you know, the, and brand development piece. 
So really thinking about, you know, those white spaces, what are we going to, you know, what kind of brand do we want to fill those white spaces with? Is it a completely new IP that we're going to create uh, like we did for first, which is a, a clean skincare brand, or was it, um, you know, an offshoot of who, what, where? So it, it was, it was really good, like brand management skills being put to work. And then on top of it, I had this built-in talent around me to help me really think about marketing and how to create buzz and excitement with influencers and, you know, activation ideas, events. I mean, it was, it was like a built-in, almost like a built-in agency. So, and then of course I brought the product expertise. So I was really, really happy that I had 10 years of merchandising experience at Target and learned a lot about sourcing product, designing product, how to build the right design team. So I put all of my experience really to, into play when I, when I was at Who, What, Where. So it was really, really re rewarding. So with First, I use the product in love and I remember first seeing it in Target a few years ago. And what I love about it, it's a very clean product line. But unlike clothing, you don't have a lot of SKUs because you only have so many products and it's testing that goes into it. People want to see results and you're really betting on the, that lineup because it's not like every season you're changing the product right. or the formula. How did you start to do that research? Because obviously coming from Target, you did a lot with regular merch. And when I say that, I mean clothing or those kind of SKUs where you can have a hundred SKUs a season and the next season, it's going to be a hundred different SKUs. And for listeners, yeah. if you don't know yeah. what a SKU is, a SKU is like the item number for each individualized item. Yeah. Very astute, no, Mallory, because that's exactly the, the difference between running a CPG, like a beauty business, you know, where every SKU has to be so, so productive and have longevity. And in apparel, you still have key items, you know, that are going to drive probably the core of the business. Um, but even with who, what, where, it was constantly changing. It was a fashion line. So we had a couple products or styles that were those bread and butter, good sellers that we always had on the floor. But then we had to constantly surround it with a lot of fashion. And you're right. You could have one season where it's like, oh, we didn't get that exactly right. But then the next season, you had this tremendous sales because you've got the prints right or the styling right. So apparel, that's what I love about apparel. It's the amount of, the amount of change. And it's a very, it's a tricky business, right? Because it's up and down. It ebbs and flows. And, um, you know, so there's, there's so much excitement. And then beauty is a completely different type of business where you have to really, really do your due diligence. Like every skew matters so much. And if you get it wrong, you, you know, you're sitting on a lot of inventory, a lot of markdowns. Uh, what we would do a lot at, at Who, What, Where is we did co-creation with our community because we had a vibrant community of millions of women. And what we learned is there's a subset of those that are really, really trendsetters. And when you're thinking about creating a brand, you should really trap, tap in to the trendsetters that are going to help you stay ahead and create something that's going to be, you know, pre-peak to 
you know, you don't want to create a brand that's saturated or post peak or even a peak on the trend curve. You want a brand that's like incoming and it's gaining momentum. And then when you want to test a velocity of product, like, is this product going to sell well? Sometimes like an apparel, then we would tap into like the main community, you know, because then you're kind of thinking about or understanding just the overall way this product is going to sell. So there were a couple different ways that we would co-create with our audience. Um, and we got a lot more sophisticated with how to do that to get the best insights, depending on where, what stage you are in product development or brand development. So then my other question is, is obviously within your career, you've seen marketing change. I've even witnessed it in the last few years, influencers, social media, TikTok videos. These are things that can really propel a product or an item to the point where you cannot get your hands on it versus the older style of print media or radio or TV. Um, why do you think we've seen such a huge shift? Because when you're thinking about buying or how you're going to advertise a product, you don't really do it the same ways you used to. You're not going to the People magazines or anything to run one-page ads. You're sending your product in promo packages to influencers asking right. them, to record and give in time real feedback. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a couple things. I think it's the immediacy of those channels now, right? We all have such shorter attention spans. There's so much more content out there. So you want you want to get a read right away. Is TikTok working for you? If it's not, you move on, you know? So, or if an influencer is working or not working. So you're constantly being able to iterate and I think almost stay closer to the consumer than you were if you were advertising, you know, in the old days, you know, through print. Um, now with my brand, print magazine is still really an important way for me to be able to reach our woman. Yeah, we'll and get that's there. our challenge. Like, yeah, it's, it's interesting. But I would say immediacy is definitely a reason I would say, um, trackability, like all the data points that as marketers we now have by using some of these new channels, right? You can understand which influencer is driving your business. You can understand if that TikTok ad is driving your business. I mean, it's just a lot more trackable and, or the attribution, I guess is the technical term. So that's another factor. And then for us, when we read who, what, where, influencers really helped us build trust with the community. So tapping into those voices that matter were another great way to amplify the message. And, you know, as a brand, you want others talking about you. You don't want to be the only one talking about yourself. So influencers became a really, really effective way of, uh, like I said, building that trust, getting the word out. So after who, what, where you left, and from my understanding, you were decided to do a full medical workup. You felt it was time. You felt something was off and your doctor informed you you were going through menopause or at the beginning stages and suggested some products. You went online and just were like, no, I'm not buying these. It's not happening. You saw a huge gap in the market around uh, female products related to menopause. And one of the reasons I reached out to have you on the show is because I have, as I've grown up and we're really looking at women's health, how it plays out. A lot of 
men and just women too don't know about women's health or don't have the right information or don't know what to ask. And so obviously menopause is later in life and how it's always been marketed is like you're over your peak, like you can kind of shrivel up and this is where we're at. That's not right. But womenist, now you have 13 products, I believe, spanning skincare, body care, wellness, sexual health. And you guys both have an e-commerce website. Uh, it's available through Amazon or QVC or at Target stores across the country. When you were in this place of, after you saw your doctor, did you talk to your other female friends who had gone through menopause and realized they were all in the same boat as well, not really finding products that they needed or wanted to use? Yes. Um, in fact, you know, once I thought this has got to be a huge opportunity, I started talking to my friends and, you know, different women in that were like former colleagues of mine. And they kept saying, oh my gosh, you're right. This is huge. You're, you're completely right. There needs to be a whole new line of products and a community. And then Michelle, my co-founder and I actually started doing formalized research. Like we got women together in Wisconsin and New York and Minnesota and all over the country because we wanted to see if there were different perspectives. And there was so much consistency across these groups of women. Um, you know, they told us that they wanted, you know, a full solution. They didn't want it to be just skincare. They wanted, you know, sexual wellness and supplements and skincare and, you know, even hair, hair products. So, um, that was definitely a piece of it. They told us they wanted it excessively priced so they could buy multiple products because most women have multiple symptoms. They also told us they wanted a community that they could really tap into for information, sharing tips, not feeling alone, you know, just really feeling like they had a go-to place. So we definitely talked to a lot of women to help shape the brand before we launched. I mean, that was that was a pinnacle moment for us. And my understanding is that at any one moment, around 50 million women are going through menopause. And that's a huge number when you think about it. But the amount of dollars that get given to female health research versus male health research is not equal or even close to being equal. Why is that? Why do you think there's such a disconnect from that? Yeah, so you're right. There's 50 million women just in the U.S. going through menopause. So it affects, you know, half the population of the world. Um, and the reason why, at least I've been told by our partners at Mayo Clinic, because now we work with the Mayo Clinic, um, as well as other experts in this space, is that for years, men's health was the only piece funded. And they, you know, the experts thought, okay, we'll just take the findings from men's health and apply it to women. And that is something, you know, they're now learning that you can't necessarily always make that connection from men's health to women's health. I mean, women's heart disease has different symptoms than men's heart disease, as an example. And, you know, women have, uh, more osteoporosis than men. Well, why? Probably because of menopause, right? And losing estrogen. So there's so much impact that, you know, not only um, 
you know, even fertility and the period space, but also as she gets older and goes through menopause has on a woman's, you know, mental well-being, physical well-being that's different than what men go through. So both are equally important. Um, but there's a, there's a long ways to go in terms of catching up on the women's wellness or health side of research from the men's side. So it's been really enlightening to hear from our experts at the Mayo Clinic. Sally, I'm not sure if you watched the newer seasons of Sex and City, the and just like that, because I remember there was an episode with Charlotte who thought she was over menopause and all of a sudden she gets like her period in the middle yeah. of everything and she's in a white dress and it sparked a lot of conversation. I remember when that episode came out and one of the writers said that happened to me and I didn't know that was a side effect or something that yeah. happens in menopause. And it sparked this huge conversation around talking about what menopause looks like. For those listeners who maybe don't have a lot of experience with it or, you know, get a little uncomfortable hearing about it, what do you want them to know and understand? Because whether it's your wife, your sister, your daughter, your mother, we all go through it at some point. Yeah, I mean, you're right. It's a completely natural transition. And, um, you know, that's why we're here to say, you know, why make this a stigmatized or taboo topic? It's, it's no different than, you know, the fertility conversation or some of these other conversations that have been, you know, shattered and, and the taboo has been broken in a good way. And so we're really here to change the conversation about menopause and women do want to talk about it. I think even men do want to talk about it. So there's nothing to be ashamed about. And I think things are changing really, really quickly in this uh, menopause movement, so to speak. But I would say the other key message is start preparing for it in your 30s. And the point is be aware of what kind of transition menopause will potentially include, right? I mean, having erratic periods like that sex in the city episode is exactly what can happen during perimenopause happened to me. So knowing what, you know, menopause symptoms include, I didn't even know that menopause included more than hot flashes. I mean, I knew that I was in menopause, but I thought it was just hot flashes. I didn't realize it was all these other host of other symptoms, your skin changes, you have, you know, your skin changes all over because of the drop in estrogen and collagen. So your vaginal skin changes, your libido can change, your mood can change. Um, so it's way more than hot flashes. And then down the road, you can get into, you know, bone health and heart health. So nothing to be afraid about. It's, it's definitely can be a challenge, but there's resources out there like our brand. There's a lot of other medical resources too, um, that I think are going to be in improving their level of expertise as well in the next several years. There's telehealth services, um, you know, the Mayo Clinic, we work with her MD, Dr. Javed there, who's building clinics uh, across the country. So these are experts in menopause that see that women do need a lot of resources. So it's going to change and you're going to have access to a lot more experts in menopause. But I just, I think that's the message we want to send is don't be afraid um, 
start early to become more prepared and then it won't be such a big transition for you. So Womanist won the 2021 Beacon Award for Best Brand Launch. You have 13 products, as I had mentioned. What are some of those hero products that consumers just love? And what, how do they help with um, individuals going through menopause? Yeah. Um, well, we actually have now 16 products um, because we launched more this year. But um, our, you know, top, top hero products are actually a skincare product called Let's Neck, which is a neck and decollete serum with a really incredible cooling rolling ball. Um, it includes an advanced form of hyaluronic acid for extra hydration, because it's so important to have hydration, um, especially for menopausal skin. So that's a really great seller for $24.99. And then the other really good seller is our menopause supplement, which is the all around menopause supplement. So it helps with hot flashes, night sweats, brain fog, which can set in during menopause and calmness. So we have pycnogenol, which is a clinically proven ingredient in that supplement. Um, it's really great for the hot flashes and night sweats and then ashwagandha. For, for calm and mood, and then back and eyes for brain, the brain fog or focus piece. So those are really two of our top selling items, but we have other great items. But I, you know, I think um, we really love women to start with, you know, a combination maybe of a supplement and a skincare product, um, because we're, we're really offering that total solution. But I would say, even if you're not in menopause, you can really benefit from some of our products. You know, we sell a sleep supplement um, that's very helpful for women or men, um, quite honestly. So, so many Americans have sleep issues and um, we have a time to release melatonin in our supplements. So it's very, very safe level of melatonin. Our skincare is great, you know, for all skin. And listeners, I'll put the link to the website in this episode's show notes. And then I'll also post some of the different products on our Instagram page so you can see okay, and link to you guys as well. Um, one thing that I think is interesting when we were talking about earlier is age demographic. Obviously, those in menopause right now are not millennials or Gen X. So for marketing, this is where you kind of came in and realized we need to look at marketing differently than you did at Verse, for example. Both skincare, totally different demographics. But from my understandings, you guys have a Facebook group community that you can join. And that kind of allows women to come together to talk about whatever they're going through and have that online support from one another. But how else do you guys market or where can um, listeners look to find your products? Yeah. So the, thank you for bringing it up. We have a Facebook group. It's a closed Facebook group so that it's a little bit more intimate and it's called the after party. Um, and we have one of our team members, Ann Goble, who's 52 going through menopause herself that runs that group, but it's really fun and inspiring. You know, she's, she's got a really good sense of humor. So it's, it's a good group. I highly recommend all of all of your listeners that are interested to join. Um, but, you know, we, we advertise a lot through, you know, Facebook, through Instagram, through social media, uh, because we really feel like there, there are a lot of women on social media, 
but we also use press a lot. Um, our story is very relevant right now because there's so much topical news about women's health and this aging population that needs attention. I mean, we deserve to be celebrated. And for years, advertisers didn't care about our woman. And, you know, I think I remember doing, finding the stat that was so interesting. We hold the purchasing power in the family. So we spend like 80% of the purchasing, or we have like 80% of the purchasing power, but only 5% of the advertising dollars are spent on us. And that is starting to change because I think retailers and brands are realizing the power of this demographic. And we do want to invest in our own wellness and self-care. So we use press a lot to get our stories out. We use podcasts like this to tell our stories. Um, I love doing interviews because I think it's so important for us to tell our message. And what we're finding is our woman is definitely still watching and consuming traditional media. She's still looking at People Magazine. She's still watching the nightly news. <laughs> and it's important for us to reach her multiple ways um, to just so that we don't miss anyone. So, you know, I think those are the primary ways. Um, you know, at some point we'd love to have the ability to be on radio and TV, but we're not big enough yet. Um, we also tap into a lot of, you know, influential voices and friends of the brand to help promote on our behalf and tell our story on our behalf. So those are the main ways, but I, again, really highly recommend the after party, which is growing. It's really an exciting group to be a part of. And one thing that came to mind was marketing dollars. And I know when we talked during our prep call, I brought up Golden Girls versus Sex and the City because they're yeah. the same age demographic. And I grew right. up watching Golden Girls thinking, oh, wow, like they're in their 50s, 60s. That's what it must be like versus the new Sex and City revival shows right. them you can still be running a business. You can be juggling a career and children and a household and doing everything and still be superwoman, even if you're going through menopause. And I am happy that womanist is starting to shift and try to change that narrative that says like, this is just another phase in life. This isn't the end of, right. you know, where you have to go to Florida to retire. Yeah. So. Yeah. And the golden girls, we actually posted this, I think in the after party, it was so funny when, if they're restyled, like their hair is modernized, their makeup is modernized. They look amazingly young. I mean, and the Sex in the City women are older than the Golden Girls, but they look so much younger because of the way they're styled. It's so incredible. I mean, yeah. And I, yeah, so, and um, I love that this conversation is coming. I'm in my early thirties, but it's still, I know women's health, my health, figuring out and learning as much as you can from an early age. So you do understand when your body's starting to shift, what are those changes that are happening and being really in tune with what's going right. on? Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think women in their forties is that that's a typical, you know, age bracket for going through the starting to go through like perimenopause, which is the period that you go through before you go into menopause. So you're not in menopause until you haven't had your period for a year. 
So you can be six months into perimenopause and think, oh, I'm going to, I'm coming close. I'm getting close on menopause. And then you'll get your period again. And you start all over that clock starts all over. So this can go on for like four to seven years. But, you know, I would say a lot of women feel the, the, the period pattern starts to change. And that's kind of a first clue that perhaps you're starting to go through perimenopause. And some women do experience uh, hot flashes, sleep issues, uh, weight shifts can happen. So those are all the things that start to kind of happen with perimenopause. And can you go through those symptoms for four to seven years until you get menopause? You can. You oh, can. Wow. I mean, you can continue those symptoms in a menopause too, other than the period piece. You know, you can still have hot flashes in a menopause, and, you know, um, sleep I did issues. Not, I did not know that. Yes. So thank yes. you. That's why so many women are struggling and they're trying to find answers and experts and products. And so there's a lot of information on our website, free information about, you know, menopause 101 and perimenopause and what to expect and how to be prepared. So I encourage your listeners to check that out as well. And like I said, we'll post that to this episode show notes okay. for sure, because it's so knowledgeable and such a great resource for people looking to learn a little bit more or have a better understanding um, the last question before we kind of wind this down is where do you want womanists to grow? Where, what's the roadmap look like in your head? Yeah. I mean, there's so much potential just in the U S but um, we're actually launching internationally or international shipping, I should say later this week. And so I think there's given the UK is really on the forefront of menopause and the conversation. I think there's a lot of opportunity for us um, eventually to, to even expand beyond just ability to ship to, to the UK and to Europe. Um, but menopause affects half the population globally. So there's a lot of potential um, for us to get our message out, for us to help service women and really you know, change the conversation. So, you know, but for, for, for right now, we're just focused on, you know, doing a great job in the U S and really trying to reach those 50 million women going through menopause right now, because it's, it's such an important, important mission for us to do that. Well, Sally, thank you so much. And any way we can help spread the word, I'm happy to do so. I think it's a really important conversation and especially around women's health that is, like we said, at the forefront of a lot of different kinds of conversations uh, as of recently. I end every episode with the same three questions. And the first question is, if you had a quote or a mantra that you live by, what would it be? Well, I actually pulled a little bit from a poem that I loved from even high school. It's from Robert Frost. And it really does say a lot about my life. So it's two roads diverged in a wood and I took the one less traveled by and that has made all the difference. So I was always, you know, thinking about like not following the same trend, always bucking the trend, trying to think of what's next. So I would say that that has definitely been not a mantra, but a, I guess, more of a spirit that I, that's followed me or that I followed. I um, love that. <laughs> thank that's you. That's beautiful. Yeah. 
The second question is, if you could relive any one day, which day would you pick? Well, I thought about this, you know, it was easy to think, you know, maybe it was my wedding day or my two children's birthday, but I'm going to take a different path. Um, I had the pleasure of going on a boat around Capri, which you're supposed to call it Capri, as you know, and it was on my birthday and it was with my husband and two kids and then another couple and their two kids. And it was like, oh my gosh, it was incredible. The sun was beating down on us. We're in the Mediterranean. We had this incredible lunch on the sea and it was just so beautiful and relaxing. And I just, I think that was probably one of the best days of my, of my life, but there's so many, there's so, it was hard to really decide, but I think that was just a really great all around incredible day. It sounds like a beautiful memory. And the fact you're with your family makes it even more yeah. special. Absolutely. Yeah. Really fun. You had a theme song that played every time you walked into a room, which song would you choose? Oh, well, when I played tennis and I was just with my high school tennis players at my class reunion, I had my 40th class reunion Friday night. Um, I love Queen. I mean, any, any song from Freddie Mercury, but um, my team thought I should talk about Dolly Parton, nine to five. <laughs> so I'm kind of torn because I love Queen. You can do two and, songs. I've given two songs <laughs> to guests before. Yeah. Another one bites the dust. Dust I love from Queen and then nine to five from Dolly Parton. It's kind of, even though I don't work nine to five, I think I work more than nine to five, but I love Dolly Parton. She's kind of an icon for all of us. And, you know, she's still kicking, doing it, you know, setting the world on fire at her age and she looks awesome. So yeah love and embrace Dolly Parton. So I am going to add both of those songs to the For oh Your Listening God. Pleasure theme song playlist on Spotify. So listeners can oh listen God. to your two theme songs along with every other guest theme songs. And I'm excited to add both uh, a Queen song and Dolly Parton. This is the first time either of those artists will be added to the playlist. Yes. Well, Sally, thank you so much. This has been so wonderful. I'm so excited to see where Womanist grows. And again, any way we can help get the word out, we are more than happy to do that. Well, thanks, Mallory. This is really a fun and inspiring conversation. Thank you for all your help. <laughs>